Last Monday, August 31st, was actually the feast day of St. Aidan. Feast days are set basically on a person's graduation from this earth into heaven. It's not their birthday, but it is their birthday. It's their new birthday. It's their new birth birthday, in a sense. Every August 31st, it's, we're going to be celebrating and commemorating our patron saint. I just want to back up and just talk a little bit about the scriptures that we heard this morning before we get into a bit of his life. Today's scripture readings that we heard in 2 Chronicles 5, Mark 7, and Acts 16, they describe an opening. They all are talking about an opening, open heaven, a thin place maybe, where the entrance of God's reign comes and visits, for example, Solomon's temple, the reign of God, the Holy Spirit, the glory of the Lord, with a tangible descent. God's glory just comes upon everyone there to such an extent that the priests couldn't stand the ministry. So that was an opening of God's glory just visiting the temple. In Acts 16, we see an opening where the Holy Spirit is redirecting Paul and his company where you know, he's thinking he's going here and then the Holy Spirit forbids them. I don't know exactly how that happened, but they're listening. They're listening to the voice of the Lord, and they think they're supposed to go in one direction, and they start off, right? This is the way the Lord can lead us many times, because we're moving. It's hard to direct a, a parked car, in a sense. You've got to get in it and start driving, and then, oh, you know, I need to go this way. And that's kind of what was happening with Paul and his company. They were a little confused, but they were listening. Uh, they had two places where they had to sort of redirect. Because of this, a new territory is opened up. It's the continent of Europe. The first time the gospel comes to the continent of Europe, going into Macedonia and to Philippi. And so we're here today, in a sense, because of that direction, because of that listening. Europe was opened up, and that's how we came to know the gospel ourselves. Western Christianity was developed and, and birthed because of this Macedonian call, this vision all of a sudden that Paul had in the night of this man and he never sees this man after the vision, right? He sees Lydia. It's, it's a woman, actually, that breaks things open in Europe for him through her hospitality. Never really saw the man, but it got him directed. He says, come to Macedonia and help us. Liz had a conversation yesterday with one of our old friends. He's been how long? I don't know, what, 20-plus years? In, 25 years in Berlin. And... Uh, it's a California friend of Liz's uh, in her home church, and he's been in Berlin ministering. They were on going back and forth with email. In a sense, he was saying the same thing, come and help us. New territory is opening up, and new territories are coming to Germany. And so, lastly, in the gospel, we heard that kind of strange methodology that Jesus uses of putting his finger uh, in the man's ear and then spitting on his finger and touching his tongue. I mean, aren't you glad that... I'm not following those instructions. No. <laughs> there it is. And so Jesus, in this, is with all of the strange sighing and all of this great symbolism that he's using, the man's ears and speech, they hear and speak anew at the touch of Jesus. In all of this, Jesus is saying, I want everyone to be opened Benedict XVI observed, this small word, ephatha, comes up and it sums up in itself Christ's entire mission, be opened. It's the summary of all that Jesus is about. 
is to open us to him. Open us to him. And because humanity is inwardly deaf and mute as a result of sin, God became man in the person of Jesus so that we become able to hear the voice of God, the inner voice of God, the voice of love speaking, speaking to our heart, and learn to speak in that language of love. And this sign, Mark tells us, is performed in the region known as the Decapolis, between the coast of Tyre and Sidon and Galilee. That was a non-Jewish area that Jesus was in. And he was speaking and ministering to the Gentiles. And so all of this is about moving out of once tightly formed boundaries that held things in check into the rest of the world. The world is being opened up through Jesus saying, be opened. That's a great phrase. Why? Why? So Christ can enter what was formerly closed, inwardly deaf and mute. That's what he wants to do with all of us, right? And so to be opened is a spousal analogy. We are his bride and we are in the receptive posture and we must be open to Jesus who initiates his love with us. It's a spousal analogy of Christ and his church as well. We can see in this. We must be open to receive him as our bridegroom. To come into union with him. That's his desire for us. Is to have that kind of relationship where he's in union with us. To be opened in that closure, that isolation. That place of retreat due to fear and perhaps shame to be liberated in the core of our being, our hearts. This opening allows us to fully live our relationship with God and with one another. This opening is the key to life in Christ and the building up of the body of Christ. We must be opened for that to occur. It enables us to hear the voice of God and to communicate it to others. To be opened summarizes the mission of Jesus. And so this opening of Europe by St. Paul's apostolic mission leads us to our patron, St. Aidan. This is a, a birthday gift I received from my son this past August, and it's a beautiful picture of St. Aidan, and it shows him listening to heaven, just like Paul was listening to get into Europe. He's listening to the Lord. He's got his ear up to heaven like that. It's a beautiful picture of our posture before the Lord. So I just thought I'd put it there on our feast day today and honor him. We have a, uh, we have a deep affinity with St. Aidan and his apostolic work in the British Isles. We have some Brits here this morning. They're from the southern part of that. You're in the Midlands. Okay, I thought you were down in Plymouth. Absolutely. St. Aidan in his mission made it into the Midlands and made it into as far down as London. Early Celtic Christianity was alive and well before Roman Catholicism ever hit the continent. There was a, more of an Eastern-influenced uh, Christianity there hundreds and hundreds of years before Rome ever hit the shore. Before St. Augustine of Canterbury actually is the one who 
who brought in Roman Catholicism to England in Kent, and that's over on the southeast coast of the UK. He came ashore in 597 AD. And so early in the formation of our community, even when we were just back in our house praying through about what an Anglican church might be named, what an Anglican church might look like here in the city, and where would we land, what part of the city would we land in, we were just, we were just dreaming with God in those days. It was three years ago. St. Aidan, we sense a strong calling to honor St. Aidan. This all has some background because while living in California, pastoring in the vineyard, we began using the Northumbrian community's Celtic Daily Prayer book. Has anybody ever seen that, Celtic Daily Prayer? It's got various liturgies and formats that you can choose from. And as Liz especially began to pray through and utilize St. Aidan's liturgy within that, she just fell in love. With, with, this, with this person and his mission and his character. and We just developed an affinity for St. Aidan and the mission there. And so we just felt like, yeah, Lord, it seems right. It seems right to be St. Aidan's. And there's so much more that we're going to be unpacking because of that. We're just beginning to live into that story. And where's his story found? Well, it's found in Bede's Ecclesiastical History of the English people, and that was written in the 8th century. And so that's pretty much the major source of information that we have about St. Aidan and all the Celtic church there. And so the gospel first came to the northern English in 627, 627 AD, when King Edwin of Northumbria, it's the northern close to Scotland on the northern coast, he was converted by a mission from Canterbury. Roman Catholicism came up and evangelized the northeast. And then after Edwin's death in battle in 632, it was a pretty brutal time to live, you know. They were followed by a sharp return to paganism. There was a great falling away of the church. In a sense, it's kind of like a context that we see in our culture today where secularism is beginning to replace much of the way Christians think and the way Christians view life. We're being trained to view things through a secular lens. A year later after this, after his death, Edwin's exiled nephew, Oswald, gained the kingdom back and he proceeded at once to restore the Christian mission. Now, during that time, he was exiled on the island of Iona. There he was and he was being evangelized right in Iona, where he had been converted and baptized. And so rather than Canterbury, when he actually was given the kingdom back, he sent to Iona instead of Canterbury for missionaries. He says, I want the Celtic church to come and evangelize the territory. Because he had this great affinity, and he witnessed their life and their devotion while at Iona. And so the first bishop that was sent to lead, his name was Corman, after hitting the shores and working with the people, he soon became very frustrated. He was a bit harsh and demanding, it says in the writings of Bede. And so upon returning to Iona, he blamed his failure on the hostile disposition of the English, it was said. Where was he at? I mean, you know, how, how, could, he, how could he derive that? And so while listening to Corman's justification, Aidan was sitting there, right? He's back at Iona, and he's sitting there listening to that. So Aidan said that the bishop was 
to blame. The English people were not to blame. Instead of being too severe, it says, with an ignorant people, he should have fed them with milk rather than solid food. He should have been compassionate and patient with these people. And so the abbot, in listening to what Aidan was saying, thought that, hey, you would be an excellent replacement. I'm sending you. I mean, you know, he's kind of he's sitting there and he's going like, I didn't really sign up for this, but now my abbot is sending me, okay? And that's how that happened. And so Aidan, in obedience to his abbot in Iona, is sent down to continue the work that Corman actually failed at. And so we're going to see in Aidan's life that his gentleness, and we prayed about this today in the colic, would prove to draw the brash and the broken to Christ. His humility and his gentleness was the real key to his success with these brash and broken people. He was consecrated bishop and he was sent with 12 monks to establish the aborted mission of Corman. In 635 AD, after refusing to build his monastery near the king's palace, he centered his work at an island off the coast called Lindisfarne, an island off the coast of Northumbria. Think about it. You know, you've you're rubbing shoulders with the king, you have good relationship with royalty, and they're opening up land near the palace, you can build your monastery here, we'll have close contact, and Aidan is going, no, that's not really what I want. I want to be, I want some distance between us. And so he looks out at this desert, I mean, there's nothing on the island, and he says, how about the island out there? Can we build it out there? And he was thinking of in a humble way, not wanting to be wrapped up with the potential domination and pull of riches. And also, he wanted a place of solitude where actually they could, have, they could begin to practice the rhythms of prayer and solitude and rest because they were going to be a missional community. They were going to be coming out of that place where they're practicing their daily prayer and their disciplines they're actually evangelizing the northern part of England. But it's based out of this place of prayer. And it's based out of this retreat and then coming back and retreat and coming back. It's just really the pattern of Jesus, isn't it? Where's Jesus? He's off praying somewhere, you know. That's the only way that we can take ground is to have this kind of relationship, this opening, this opening up to God. Yes. Aidan knew how to overcome the region's cynicism and resistance to Christianity. Here's something out of Bede. When his fellow monks and English youth whom he had trained, Aidan slowly restored Christianity throughout Northumbria. He extended the mission through the Midlands as far south as, as London. That's a lot of territory when you're going on foot. And at times he encountered rival gangs who were very violent. He instructed them in the gospel of peace, Bede says, and often they laid down their weapons, they were baptized, and they became monastics. Oh, it's just a beautiful testimony to his character, not to, to react, but to be able to handle violence and, and people coming at you in all sorts of ways, and him just being open. He was open, and people could sense that. His ministry to slaves... Bede describes a time when he, when he used some of his resources provided by the king to redeem slaves out of their slavery. 
And some of these became actually priests that he ordained and sent out to plant other churches, former slaves. He could recognize and value God's image in all people. When it was so hidden, he could see it. He valued them. Aidan supported women in establishing monasteries throughout England. A good example of this would be Hilda, 614 through 680, the founding abbess of the monastery at Whitby. She became a major player in the conversion of England to Christianity. He could recognize everyone's unique gifts and contributions. Aidan was known for his personal disciplines as well. One example recorded that Aidan would fast from all food until 3 p.m. every Wednesday and Friday. He taught the rhythms of retreat and advancement from prayer and solitude to missional engagement. Aidan honored the poor. Here's a story. King Oswald was killed in battle against a rival king named Penda. King Oswin became his successor. The king gave Aidan an exquisite horse and cart to use in his ministry travels because Aidan always traveled on foot. Aidan gave it with all of its gear to a beggar who asked for alms. He would rather walk and be on the same level with everyone as he walked through the countryside so that he could actually have conversations. This is how he did his ministry. He didn't want to be up on a high horse. He wanted to walk on the ground and connect with the people that he was sharing the gospel with. Now the king heard about this and was very angry. He asked Aidan why he gave the royal gift away when there were ordinary horses in the stable, more suitable for a beggar. After Aidan rebuked him, for his attitude and caused the king to fall, it caused the king to fall at the bishop's feet, weeping tears of repentance, asking for forgiveness. This is a king down on his knees asking Aden for forgiveness. Oswin vowed to never judge Aden's compassionate deeds again. And so upon seeing this, Aden raised the king up to his feet. He and he said that he had never witnessed a king with such humility. And then Aidan prophesied. He prophesied Oswin's soon departure to be with the Lord. He spoke over him and he said, Get ready because you are getting ready to go into the presence of the Lord. And then a few weeks later it happened. And then a few weeks later after that, Aidan went home to be with the Lord. He died at Bomberg, which is actually where the castle was, and by the west wall of the church is where Aidan died. And the beam on which he was leaning it still survives today. Even though the church was destroyed by fire twice, the beam can be seen in the ceiling just above the baptismal font. It's still there. Now, while this was going on, one of Aidan's key disciples, Cuthbert, who became Aidan's successor, the second bishop of Lindisfarne, on the day that Aidan died, St. Cuthbert was a young man tending the bishop's flock. And then he looked up and he saw this vision of angels bearing someone's soul to heaven in a sphere of fire. And he had no idea what this was, who this was. And later he learned that Bishop Aidan had died at that very hour he had seen the vision. And he became the second bishop of Lindisfarne. 
Bishop Lightfoot in the 1800s said of Aiden, Augustine was the apostle of Kent, but Aiden was the apostle of England. And may we continue to walk in his footsteps as we become inspired by his life, because his life is nothing other than just being Christ-like, the opening of new hearts and regions for the gospel of Jesus. It's this opening that caused this character to be formed in Aden and in this community on, on Linda's farm. And we're standing here today just in amazement at the influence that this man in this community has had. And so may the inwardly deaf hear and the dumb speak to further this gospel in Kansas City. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.